0: I've discovered that if I go looking for shared interest and shared values first, that gives me a much greater chance for success. Then I'm looking for, do we share belief in what we could do together? And do we have a shared commitment? Those are all things that bond us together. And then once we have that, I think of the multipliers of collaboration is, do we have different perspectives? Do we have different styles? Do we have different motivations that we're looking for? And do we have different capabilities? Can we organize around our strengths and neutralize our weaknesses?
1: Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own, and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome to the special episode of CEO On The Go. I hope you're doing well. I'm getting ready to head to Dallas for a large podcast convention, so I'll report back on my learning from that experience. I'm sure I'll have a lot to share I'm sure my head will be spinning with ideas, but I always think my best ideas come from you. So please continue to let me know what you need and how I can serve you through the podcast or otherwise. In the meantime. I have a wonderful guest to share with you today. He brings exceptional wisdom and experience from a CEO and business advisor perspective. And I have to say, after having spoken with him, it's inspiring just to see how he lives his life. Uh, He's got six adult children and 11 grandchildren. It's great to understand what matters to him, to see his view of the world, how he shapes that, how he learns, how he develops his mindset and just prepares himself for the day. His name is Ron Price. Ron is an internationally recognized business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and author. He's known for his creative and systematic thinking, business versatility, and practical optimism. I'd like to think I have a little dose of that. Um, He's worked in 15 countries and served in almost every level of executive management over the past 40 years. As the former CEO of a multimillion dollar international company, Ron understands the challenges and the risks of running a business and building a dynamic team. He's worked with executive leadership teams to bring strategic clarity and transformational results to organizations, especially those dealing with turmoil and transition. In 2004, Ron started Price Associates, which is a global leadership performance firm that features the bright minds and innovative solutions of some of the world's top consultants in organizational development process management, branding, marketing, and more. And he's most recently taken on the role of president of TTI Success Insights. And I consider TTI Success Insights a Work Matters partner. They partner with my business. They're the ones that develop the research-backed assessments that we use. Integrating those tools in the right way ultimately helps solve organizational people problems. So we'll talk a little bit about that in our conversation Uh, TTI Success Insights is based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, Ron told me that people say he's not very good at retiring, and that's actually a good thing. I was excited to hear that he's taking the lead in this new role. He's the perfect person to talk about the new world of executive leadership, to understand what that really means, and to understand the importance of leaders developing a new and deeper set of skills, as well as the right mindset. I love learning from people who've had extensive experience in my field of interest. I know you will too. Enjoy my conversation with Ron Price. Ron, welcome to CEO On The Go podcast. Thank you,
0: Gail. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: Yes. Well, as as I mentioned, and looking over your background, there's so much that we could talk about. It's so impressive. Uh, you may be one of the most experienced experts that I've had on the show so far. So it's hard to know where to start. But one of the things that I think makes you exceptional is the fact that you've you've had CEO experience yourself of a multi million dollar international company before you started your own consulting firm and so I was just curious to know especially in in today's world when we look at executive leadership some of the issues that people need to be thinking about some of the new challenges Um, so just from your your vantage point anything that you have to share about kind of the new world of executive leadership so I'll just I'll just kick it off with that and let you share your perspective.
0: Thanks, Gail. You know, there's some things that really haven't changed. Um, A good leader needs to have a vision that they believe in. They need to be consistent and predictable. They need to care about the people that they're leading and they need to help those people see what their potential is. I think those things have always been the same. In today's world, things are changing so quickly and the employer employee relationship has changed so significantly that today's leader i think has to develop a new set of skills and in some instances a much deeper set of skills so i still think that you have to make good decisions if you don't if you don't make good decisions as a leader it's going to affect the whole organization but what's changed today around decision making is that you can't make them in isolation you can't make them based on how smart you are You really have to be much, much more collaborative and you have to understand the voice of your customer. You need to gain the benefit of the insights and the perspectives of people who are interacting with your customers, people who are involved in different parts of the business. And you need to be much, much more collaborative than leaders needed to be 20 or 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that you're saying that. I'm seeing that trend as well with some of the clients that I'm working with, even in their visioning and strategic planning process. They're engaging stakeholders beyond internal people or leaders, uh, having their customers or their clients, people that they serve come to conversations that they're having. And I think that that really enriches the process and is something smart that more leaders can consider.
0: Yeah, because I've been around for over 50 years now of working and leading people, I can think back where initially I was led a lot by people who seemed to have a good grasp of what the organization needed to accomplish. And it was my job as a follower to just align with that and uh, do the best I could to help advance whatever the strategy or tactics were. But um, over the years, I've seen it shift where... You really uh, To be a good leader, you have to not think that your intuition is all wise or that your view of the world is all wise. It doesn't mean you don't pursue a good understanding of what's happening in the world around you and how it affects your organization. But you really have to surrender this idea that as the leader, you're supposed to have the answers. You need to become much more of a facilitator empathy is so important. I define empathy as the ability to suspend judgment so that you can understand another person's experience. And you gain so much more wisdom when you learn how to do that. And I would say for me as a leader, that was one of the breakthrough moments when I realized that always have an opinion about, having an opinion about what needed to be done had become an impediment to me instead of help.
1: Yeah. So that's something that you
0: developed or- became more conscious of in your own leadership? I did. And I think there are probably three things that really helped me with that. One was, I've always been a reader. I've always felt that you have to saturate your mind with other people's ideas. And so I made a commitment back in uh, probably would have been the late 70s that I would spend 30 minutes a day reading and reading something that was going to help me professionally. So it wasn't always a business book, but it was always something that would help me professionally. Well, you can't help but be affected by that over time. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the people that I've had the opportunity to serve with have taught me so much. And uh, sometimes I'm serving with them because they're employees. Other times in my consulting career, they were clients. I can just think of story after story of how clients changed my view of the world because I took the time to listen to what their experience was. And we live today in a world that's more diverse than it's ever been before. We're tempted to think that we're just supposed to get everybody to think the way that we do. When I realized that was not my job, it was my job to understand their experience. And I didn't have to agree or disagree. It was more about understanding. It just enriched my life and my perspective so significantly. And I would say the third thing that really has helped me is that we have six adult children. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone through these phases and all of, and sometimes they do things that we're really proud of. Sometimes they do things that we cringe about. And all of that is a part of enriching how you think of yourself as a leader. So I don't think of, the people I serve with is part of my family or my children, but I've learned a whole lot from my children that's helped me to serve them.
1: I'm sure. That's such a great attitude. I know that you're, you're saying taking the time to, to listen and understand others. That was your second point, I think. And it just seems like we're in such a noisier world now. It's so hard to feel like you can even afford to take the time sometimes with so many changes happening, so much stress and pressure. So um, it's kind of an attitudinal shift, I think, for some leaders to see how important it is to create some space to do that.
0: Yeah, back in the I think it would have been in the '80s, uh, somebody gave me a copy of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Stephen Covey, he, he actually wrote that coming out of his dissertation for his doctorate, where he studied American history around leadership. and for about 150 years, he said our focus was on character, and then for the last, 50 years or so at the time that he wrote the book, he said, we've shifted and we focus a lot more on personality and charisma now. And he said, yeah, those things, not that that's not valuable, but it's not as important as character. Well, that had a big impact on me. And um, in his first habit, Be Proactive, he talks about your circle of influence versus your circle of concern. Over the years, I played with that. And I always think there's nothing new under the sun. It's just that we develop new formulas or new recipes. And um, for years, I thought about that. And I began to think, yeah, there are actually three circles, not just two. The first is your circle of control. It's the thing that you can take 100% responsibility for. And for me, the reading, 30 minutes a day was a part of that exercise, what I eat, when I go to bed. I'm I'm a Christian, so it's about how I give myself to prayer. It's all those things. And if I don't do those things, I don't show up the right way. So that's the circle of control. The second circle for me was the circle of collaboration. And it's how well you learn how to work with other people. And I've found that because I've had run so many experiments around that over the years, it does it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I've discovered that if I go looking for shared interest and shared values first, that gives me a much greater chance for success. Then I'm looking for do we share a belief in what we could do together? And do we have a shared commitment? Those are all things that bond us together. And then once we have that, I think of the multipliers of collaboration is, do we have different perspectives? Do we have different styles? Do we have different motivations that we're looking for? And do we have different capabilities? Can we organize around our strengths and neutralize our weaknesses And then do we, I I think that one of the great hidden treasures, even though we have LinkedIn and Facebook and all those things, Instagram, I think one of the great hidden treasures is when we're willing to share diverse networks. So can I introduce my friends to you because I believe in you and in a reciprocal way? So those four things that bring us together, shared interest, shared values, shared belief in our potential and shared commitments. And then the three things that make us different, that multiply our impact which are different perspectives, different capabilities, and different networks. So that's the circle of collaboration. And then the third circle I think of is the circle of concern. And those are the things that we see on the news and that we worry about, but we really don't have any direct influence on. And as a leader, I, for me, I've had to be very, very disciplined about what I allow into my mind. You, What triggered this is you mentioned that we live in a noisy world. We still get to choose what part of that we pay attention to. And I've had to become more and more disciplined about not giving my time and my mind to things that are going to drain my energy, to focus on what I can do instead of agonizing over what I can't do.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Um so this this is a perfect segue talking about wanting to leverage capabilities and different strengths. And obviously, as president of TTI Success Insights, we can't not talk about the value of assessments and, and the role that that can play. I know that a number of clients that I work with have appreciated uh, the value that they can bring. So I was just curious to get your perspective on ways in which you use assessments, have used assessments over the years, maybe share an example or two of organizations that you've worked with to, to show what they look like kind of in action, especially for listeners that may not be familiar with some of the tools?
0: Yes. Well, um, I started to take a real interest in talent and how we define talent back in the late 80s. And I explored a lot of different possibilities. We had had in in my leadership role, we'd had some team building workshops where people brought assessments in. And I have to be candid with you, I kind of thought of them as parlor games. I I thought, well, you know, Maybe they get a little bit of energy and people chuckle, but they don't really change the way we interact with each other. In 1997, as a part of my professional development, I enrolled in Coach University to become a better leader as a coach. And as a part of that, I had to take a course on assessments. And through that, I was introduced to TTI Success Insights. And I I started to take a deeper interest in them because I realized that these were not Um, superficially developed from TTI Success Insights. They had research behind them. There was a lot of thinking behind them. And over the years, I've come to see that a good assessment, and there are many out there, begins by having a solid theoretical underpinning or a model. Usually, that's validated by psychologists or by academicians who develop this model and debate about it, and they eventually look for ways to begin to implement it into some kind of an assessment. So the second part is the development of the survey or the assessment that people complete. Today, everybody does it online. When I first started, it was still being done on paper.
1: Yeah, I remember those days too, yeah? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And um, the, the, the quality of those is dependent on how deep and robust the research is around how the survey itself works. Is it doing what it's supposed to do? And part of what attracted me to TTI Success Insights is the tremendous commitment that they had to statistical analysis of the way people were completing the assessment and in later years the establishment of a brain science lab where we actually have people complete the assessment while they, while we're watching their brain function and we're measuring activity in their brain at the gamma wave level which means that we're looking at their subconscious mind as they complete the assessment and then comparing that to how they completed the assessment that that kind of validation work on the instrument gave me more and more confidence and I will say, Gail, that I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect assessment. There, You can always improve them. But then the third part of it is now you've got that data where you're comparing how the person completed this assessment against the model, and you convert that into a report, which is really more interpretive. It's what, what kind of tendencies could we identify? How can we help a person reflect on this? And I, I always feel that we shouldn't treat these reports as tests. We should We should treat them as something that helps us to self-evaluate and to develop a richer understanding of who we are. So in that context, we might agree with part of it. We might not agree with part of it. That's okay. That's a part of the process. Just the fact that it gets us thinking about ourselves and who we are is helpful. Well, now we extrapolate that to other people. And for me, it started with me, that process of taking assessments for me, helped me to reflect on who I am and discover some things about who I am at a deeper level than I had before. And I thought, wow, what if I could do this with the people that I work with also? So I started to experiment that way. And I think that the assessments really don't, there are a lot of things you could learn without them, but it would take a lot more time. The assessments speed up the process significantly.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that uh, because I wanted to see if you could share some specific scenarios in which you see them being used. I just did a couple of podcast episodes on identifying young leadership talent and spoke to the value of assessments. In that case, like like you were saying, to accelerate understanding who these people are and how they can be developed. So that's that's one context in which assessments could be valuable is just understanding who who the next kind of talent pool is. I've used them in team building when there's conflict, uh, when people aren't talking to each other and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the team uh, so that it can bring teams together in that way. I've I've used them in a lot of different scenarios, but I was curious to know what your experience has been and what you might recommend.
0: Yeah, there's thousands of stories. (laughs) It's it's where to begin. Um, I will say that I think they have value throughout the entire employee experience from looking at candidates all the way through succession and even celebrating somebody's retirement. I think you can use data from those and all of that. Uh, One of the things that impacted me a lot was realizing that one model or one theory doesn't tell you about the whole person. So the more you can combine theories, you get different lenses that you get to look through. So some examples, um, I In my consulting days, before I became a part of the team at TTI Success Insights, I was involved in screening candidates for CEO positions for probably 100 different companies or organizations. And we would use a combination of assessments to create a blueprint for the job. What exactly are we looking for? Because not all CEO positions are the same. And even in the same company, what you want from a CEO is going to change over time. So we would we would meet with people in the company that had some grasp of where the company was going and what the culture was like. And we would build a blueprint for what they were looking for. And then candidates as part of the screening process would complete this battery of assessments. And we could come back to them and show them that for this part of the job, they're going to excel. It's going to be very easy for them this part of the job, you might think about making sure that you've got a professional development plan for them or have an executive coach to help them with this part. Because nobody's great at everything, but everybody's great at something. So you're identifying that. So we would use them first for hiring. Then when we would bring on a new CEO, by the way, I would never talk to the candidates. I didn't want to. I just wanted to read the data that they generated when they completed the assessment. That's what
1: I do too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to have any bias. And so once they decided who they were going to hire, then I would walk them through their assessment, help them understand how they could use it, show them how it compared to the job blueprint so that they would understand that relationship. And we would begin to talk about how they can build a healthy, productive relationship with their job and with their team. So that's one way. As you said, we use them a lot with teams, and it's amazing because the report that everybody gets is so personal and unique to them. And yet, at the end of a series of meetings with a senior leadership team, they will tell us what was so great about this was we didn't take it personal. We could we could see the differences and celebrate those because the, the reports helped us to see that everybody has strengths, although they're going to be different strengths. So we've used them a lot for that. Um, I one interesting story probably would be that when I was uh, building a business for TTI Success Insights in Greater China, Yum Corporation, which is Kentucky Fried Chicken and Taco Bell and all that, they hired us to do a research project for them. They actually at the time I think they had somewhere around eight or ten thousand stores. In China, restaurants in China—they more than McDonald's, more than any other uh, fast food restaurant—and they were interviewing 250,000 candidates every year for assistant manager positions.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Can you imagine how no. much? No, that was. Taking? <laughs> and we said, let us let us take some of your successful assistant store managers, those who become restaurant managers eventually. And let's look at some that didn't work out and let's assess them using the TTI Success Insight tools and then come back and give you some ideas of what you're looking for and help you set up a system that makes it so you don't have to interview 250,000. By the way, they would interview 250,000, they would hire 8,000. And of those 8,000, only 1,000 would ever become managers of a restaurant. So that was a lot of work. So we were able to identify the key traits using assessments that they should be looking for. At this time they did not have computers in the stores that candidates could use to take the assessments so they had to complete them on paper and then they had to be entered. But you know we you, you could eliminate 200 of those 250,000 interviews by using an yeah. assessment to pre-screen. Now sometimes people use the assessments to pre-screen The finalist candidates, that's often what happens with CEOs or C-level executives. But when you're dealing with those huge numbers, then the assessments become a great pre-screening that save you a lot of time and money with all the interviews that they were doing. So, you know, that was sort of on the other end of the extreme.
1: Yes, a great filter for that. Yeah, I hope any leaders who are data driven are listening because they'll love the data that comes from the assessments.
0: Absolutely. And
1: I know you and I could go on and on about assessments, but I just thought we would take a few minutes and talk a little bit about it in the context of executive leadership. So anyway, as we're about to wrap up, I just wanted to see if you had some final thoughts or pieces of advice for uh, CEOs and senior executives to to help them be most effective in their role today?
0: Uh, Thank you, Gail. I I think in my latest opportunity to serve that I come back regularly to a couple ideas. One is that to lead in today's world, you have to have courage and humility. And those don't often go together, uh, but they're very important. They are almost opposite muscles that you work with. The courage to to lead in a time of great change, of volatility and uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity, but the humility to not lead as if you are the expert of everything. So that's that. I come back to that every morning when I get up and get ready for work. The other thing is that at least in my world, I don't know if it's gonna be true for others, but in my world, I continually come back to three things, help our organization make great decisions, provide the courage and support to focus on the most important things and not get buried in the sea of possibilities, and serve other people for their greater good. And in doing that, I focus regularly on creating an environment where people can be the best version of themselves. And a lot of times, that's helping make decisions about not over-committing, letting people have work-life harmony and not thinking of them as only being a worker, but thinking of them as being a human being that has a rich and full life that is much broader than just what they do when they come to work.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, thank you so much for sharing your personal insights, your leadership insights, and for leading TTI success insights. So um, I look forward to speaking with you more offline. But again, appreciate your being here today to just share, share your thoughts on executive leadership. Thank you. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a good rest of the week doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you wanna discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.